0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Podcast for Salem
1: Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Man, isn't it awesome to be here in this place together? Aren't you thankful? Yeah. As we said just a few minutes ago, this this is a morning where we have a lot of different... uh, Uh, turns. Uh, I hope that we've uh, been able to keep you with us here, but we want to focus on Christ, but also be energized to do a few things. And this morning, we have a a great privilege to be able to hear uh, not just about an organization that we've partnered with as a church, but to hear from an individual that uh, has been an ambassador with them for quite a while. Uh, Isaiah 58 is a, a passage we have spent some time in here as a church let me remind you of a couple of thoughts that are in there that i would have you uh, listen to as you prepare to listen to sean Uh, in isaiah 58 the lord has been pressing some things into his people israel had drifted from where they should have been Uh, god is looking at them chastising them and calling them back and he reminds them of some central things that should be on their heart as they worship. So get away from religion and back into true and focused faith. And he tells them that they need to, uh, when they're fasting or sacrificing, make sure that they're taking care of the broken people that they see along the way. And he says this in verse 9, At that time when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, Here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and malicious speaking, just for a moment, see if there's any way to make that relevant in our day and age, okay? (laughs) Get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing, the malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you. Satisfy you in a parched land and strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden and a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild, get this, some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. What kind of person is known as a rebuilder, a restorer? It's somebody who has a right relationship with God and is out of that relationship, looked at the world around him and said, I'm going to participate in helping heal brokenness. Amen? The question this morning is, is that you? And are you called to participate in some other works that are actively right now rebuilding what is broken? They're helping meet the needs of those that are hurting. Compassion is one such organization, and this morning we have a, a gift to be able to listen to one of their ambassadors, Sean Grove. Sean, where are you? Oh, here he is, right here. Sean, let's welcome Sean up here. He's been with uh, Compassion since 2005 as an ambassador. Uh, he's, uh, been a worship leader. Uh, you're in ministry doing this especially, but, uh, you also live in Tennessee. I do. And, uh... So some of you have deep desires to live in Tennessee or Idaho, and uh, I asked Sean, and he's told me, it's full. You can't join him there. you got to stay here, but you can join him in what he's going to share this morning. And so, uh, Sean, let me pray, and then I'm going to ask you, we've heard your heart behind the scenes, but uh, I just feel uh, that God has brought you here this morning, and so we're going to ask you to preach what the Lord's laid on your heart. So let's pray. Father... uh, We give you thanks and we thank you for organizations like Compassion, but we also thank you for the mission that you allow us to participate in as believers. Uh, Your heart is for the world, that they would first know Christ, but also that we as believers would participate with you in meeting the needs of those who are in need, the broken and the hurting, that we'd be known as those who participate in restoration, lifting up those uh, that. Maybe are unseen. Father, help us to hear. Uh, we pray that this morning, what you have called us to, would be advanced. Uh, help us to put feet to what we are stirred by. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Sean, Amen. thank you.
0: Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Uh, Nashville is full. There is no more room for you. Um, my my uh, neighbor just this past week got a knock on the door from someone from the West Coast. Uh, just offered them cash for their house. Like, I'm not going anywhere, like, well, we're coming. So uh, there's a lot of that going around. So thank you for driving up our home prices, but um, you need to stay where you are. There's no more room for you. Hey, happy Mother's Day on this beautiful, sunny Mother's Day. This is such a wonderful day. No, it's beautiful here. Um, uh, Any moms in the house, make some noise. All right. Okay. That's good. That's good. That's good. It's so good to be with you. I want to take just a moment before I get into what I really came here for, just to honor you. Um, my, My mother is back in East Texas. I couldn't be with her today. I'm here with you instead. But one of the greatest ways that I can honor her this morning is to pass on to you just some, a little, little bit of what she has passed to me. Uh, my mother has taught me more about God than any seminary professor, <laughs> any conference or retreat, any sermon I've ever heard, and any fat book I've read without pictures. My mother is living her theology. Now my mom, I don't recall her ever really sitting down to lecture me or to teach me about God, but so much of what I know about God was instead caught from her, from her example just one example of her example. I remember one day when I must have been 10 or 11 years old, my mother worked as a daycare center director for 27 years. And so she would work 12 hour days, six in the morning to six at night. And then she would take care of my sister and me in the evenings and you know she was exhausted, but she was not too exhausted at the end of her long day to notice others. I remember us going into the grocery store Uh, One night after she got off work, she was dragging. (laughs) She had that mom tired look, you know, the ones like, I know this is not the time to ask mom for anything. That kind of look. And we go into the grocery store and we pulled the last cart from the rack. It was a packed place. And we didn't take 10 steps before. My mother noticed something I didn't know. She noticed this woman, this older woman, bent over her shopping cart, pushing as hard as she could, struggling against a wobbly wheel. We've all been there, right? But my, while every other shopper passed by this woman, my mother stopped and she put her arm beside this woman, pulled our cart alongside hers. She kissed this woman on the cheek and told her it was going to be okay and gave me that mom look that says, you need to do what I want you to do. And I began to move that woman's groceries from her cart into our cart to lighten her load and then to give her our cart, a cart with four good wheels. That'll preach. That's better than anything I'm gonna to have to say to you today. My mother's example of compassion and care, no matter how exhausted and spent she was, she noticed people. And if I am at all a loving and generous man today, it's because of the example of my mother. So thank you to all the moms in the room And not just the things that you say, but the things that you live that make us better people. Amen? So, let me honor my mom by uh, passing on a bit of those life lessons that she's given me on to you this morning. We're going to be eventually in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, but as a long background to that passage, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus chapter 16, you may know the story. Here's the context if you're not familiar with it. God's children are making the long road trip from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. This is a photo I took of the terrain that they traverse. This is the wilderness of Zen. And on this long road trip, God's children became a little hungry and a lot whiny. And so God pulled over the minivan and he had a talk with them through their babysitter, Moses. And God said these words to his children through Moses. The Lord said to Moses in Exodus 16, verse four, I will rain down bread from heaven for you and the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions." And the next morning, God's children woke up, and God being the good father that he is, he kept his promise. And they discovered on their front lawns just millions of pieces of delicious, sweet, flaky bread. So good, like nothing they'd ever put in their mouths before. They named it manna, which means, what is it? It was that good. In the morning he fed them manna, in the evening he fed them quail, or what folks from my neck of the woods call biscuits and chicken. God is obviously southern. He's obviously, okay, you're not going with me on that, but will you at least? can we at least agree here that God is good? Amen? Amen? You know, the problem with receiving a lot of God's goodness, though, is it can bring out the worst in us. And so along with, along with manna and quail, God served up the first law. He said, take only your daily bread. Take only your daily bread, and then everyone will be able to taste and see that God is good and can be trusted. He said, this will be a test. And to do this will be test it will test your trust do you really believe that god is good that god cares for you the god who parted the sea of reeds the god that provided rescue when you were trapped before the roaring waves and the chariots of pharaoh the god who heard your cries and broke your shackles the god who gave you sweet water when you passed over into the wilderness the god who has cared for you in miles past do you believe that god will care for you Tomorrow, this is a test. This is the test. Is God really good? And can you trust Him? Now, most of them, they, they actually collected only their daily bread. God told them exactly how much that was. It was one Omer, about 2.3 liters of food for every single person who lives in your tent. And they did that, but some of them, and we don't know exactly why, but some of them took a bit extra. (laughs) They decided to store it away in case tomorrow morning they woke up and God wasn't good. And so they stowed some leftovers away. It says in Exodus 16 verse 20, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning, (laughs) but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. This is one of the first verses that I had my oldest son memorize. If you want to get a little boy interested in memorizing scripture, start with a passage that turns food into maggots and stink. It's a great place to start. (laughs) It's also a great place for us to start to just begin to evaluate our lives. Have we trusted? Have we believed that God is good? Can I just confess to you this morning that many years of my life I haven't? That I, I began to try to fill up myself by filling my shopping cart, filling my garage, by filling my closet, by filling my walls with diplomas and accolades and accomplishments. And what I've discovered, can I just save you the grief? What I've discovered is that nothing fills me like the God who provides manna in the wilderness. That I was made, you were made to be satisfied by the one and only, our good and trustworthy God. And when we try to fill our lives with anything else, when we try to find satisfaction in the leftovers, we discover that it just stinks <laughs> and it never satisfies. Well, I don't know what you would do if your breakfast turned into maggots and stink, but I know what they did, that they, they began to repent. Repent. Did my microphone fall off of my ear? It did. It's these petite little ears that my mother gave me that I can't hear. But they began to repent, and they began to instead follow God's commandment to take only their daily bread. It says in Exodus 16, verse 17 and 18, that they began to collect only their daily bread. And when they measured it by the Omer, the one who gathered much, because he had much family, didn't have too much, And the one who gathered little, because he had a little family, didn't have too little. But everyone gathered just as much as they needed. But here's the best part. Everyone got to taste and see that God is good and can be trusted. Now, before we're too hard on these Israelites and their hoarding, (laughs) let's remember what they'd been through. They lived as orphans in slavery for 400 years. They'd been institutionalized, they'd been oppressed, they'd been abused, they'd not been cared for, they'd not been nurtured and loved. And so here they find themselves having to learn what a good father looks like, having to learn that this father can be trusted. I understand something about this. Here's a family family Picture, we just took this uh, this past Easter, I brought this photo with me, if we can throw that up there. There they are, this is, this is my family. I don't know what my hair was doing. I grew up Southern Baptist, but sometimes my hair wakes up Pentecostal. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it, it just happens. So this is, my, this is my family. Now you may notice that my youngest son has a much better tan than the rest of us. He was born in India, he, but he became my son when he was just four years old. And I have a picture of him when he was pretty new to us. That's a very important picture there. I want you to understand that that a child who grows up in an institution, a child who grows up in grinding poverty, a child whose mind was so ravaged by malnutrition that the seizures began when he was 18 months old, causing his mother to save his life by giving him to us child who grows up on the verge of starvation has trouble trusting. And So every night when Sambaji was four and five and 10 and 12 and even now at 15, he checks the pantry before he goes to bed. It's hard to go to bed with a full stomach but an empty cupboard. He needs to know that there'll be daily bread Tomorrow, some of us have been there. Some of us have tasted poverty and hardship in our own lives. And perhaps that's why we hang on to things so tightly because we know what it's like to go without. The Israelites knew what it was like to go without. And their solution was to hang on, to control, to double check the pantry. Can I really trust God? Is he really good? Can I just ask you, dear brothers and sisters, what keeps you from believing God is good and trusting? What hurt in your own story might cause you to hang on tightly and to doubt the goodness of God? Talk to God about that this morning. I understand that trust doesn't come easily to all of us. Now this principle of taking your only day, your only your daily bread gets repeated over and over again throughout the scriptures. We don't have time to go through all the cases in the book of Numbers and later on in Deuteronomy and, and throughout the Proverbs and the Psalms. This idea that God is the giver of daily bread. He's the good father we can trust. And so take only your daily bread so that everyone in the community can have enough and taste and see that God is good. It gets repeated again and again and again, but I wanna pick up with it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. I wanna jump very far ahead in the story of scripture. Here's the background to this particular passage. The Apostle Paul, we're familiar with him, he, he feels called by God to go and preach the good news to the Gentiles to the non-Jews. He wants to be the very first missionary to go preach the good news of the risen Jesus to those who've never heard about him before. And so he comes to the church in Jerusalem and the pillars of the church, James, Peter, and John, they lay their hands on Paul and they approve of him being sent out as a missionary to the Gentiles. And on that day, as he's heading out, he's heading out from Jerusalem to go preach to the nations, they give him one final piece of advice, and this is a surprising piece of advice. Galatians 2 verse 10, they said all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do all along. What a strange piece of advice. It didn't lecture them on like, hey, when you go out and you preach and you create churches, here's how many deacons or elders you should have. He didn't say, here's what color the carpet should be or what style the music should be. He didn't tell them what day of the week to meet on or how to celebrate communion. I mean, all the things they could have told him as he headed out the door, the thing they felt was most important and pressing, the last words they gave this first missionary was, remember the poor. And he said, oh, I'm eager to do that. I've always been eager to do that. Now who are the poor? The poor, the poor are the Christians right there in Jerusalem, right there in Jerusalem. We now believe, scholars believe that around 80% of the Christians living in Jerusalem in the first century were living in abject poverty, meaning they did not have daily bread. And so what these these pillars of the church were telling Paul is, as you go out to the world, don't forget us. Look around this room, Paul. Do you see all the starving and the hurting? Do you see our poor? And he says, I'm eager to do that. This word eager is translated in 1 Thessalonians 2.17, an intense longing, making every effort. In Ephesians 4.3, making every effort. In Timothy, 2 Timothy two fifteen four nine four twenty one, And in Titus 3.12, it's translated doing your very best. He said, I was eager. I was going to make every effort for the poor. I would do everything I could for the poor. I'd do my very best for the poor. Where does eagerness for the poor come from? Where does that come from? It comes from proximity, it comes from the poor not being a problem, but a person, not just being numbers, but having names. You'd imagine Paul that day when they said, Remember the poor, and he could look around that room at people whose names he knew. He could see a listless baby sitting on the lap of a mother whose breasts were depleted by malnutrition. You could see a father there, he knew his name, he could see him with tears still wet on his cheeks from burying a little one too soon. These weren't problems, these were people, they weren't numbers on a spreadsheet, but they had names. Paul had proximity to the poor, and that created in him an eagerness to never forget. For some of us, God is calling us to simply leave our zip code this morning. To simply know someone, to know the name of someone with a very different kind of story than our own. For me, this happened in Ethiopia many years ago. In 2007, I was there, and uh, my vehicle broke down. Now, I was a musician in those days, and how many people know that musicians are not the handiest? It took me a while to change a tire, and so it was enough time to make a friend. This little girl came stumbling out of the bushes toward me, I, uh, I wasn't wearing my glasses there. It was just too dusty, and so I can't see beyond about 10 feet without those on. and I, I couldn't see her, so I raised my camera lens to see who this was coming toward me, and I zoomed in, and I took in the details. that uh, That dress she's wearing is actually somebody's old shirt. And she has no pants. She has no socks. That the hair on the edges of her face is, is rusting. It's oranging from malnutrition. That her eyes are goopy and, and wet and her nose is crusty. And she's missing some toenails. But what I will never forget is her tongue. It's swollen and bright red like a strawberry shoved into her mouth. So big that she couldn't speak. Even if she knew my language, she couldn't have communicated to me. And so she spoke the only way she could, by pointing two fingers to her mouth to say, feed me. I wasn't there on a humanitarian relief. I was there just to learn from the amazing believers there in Ethiopia. But I did have a bottle of water and a couple of granola bars. And so I piled those into her arms and I pulled her little skeleton body into mine and I prayed for her. Oh God, would you feed this little one? Will you give her clean water? Will you let her know that she is loved? you give her mother and her father work? Will you keep her safe as she's out here begging? And then I found a nearby pastor and I put her hand into his and as I pulled away and I could see them standing together in the rearview mirror and that was in 2007 and I can close my eyes and I can still see her. I can still feel her skin in my hand and I can never forget there is an eagerness in me now because poverty is not a problem, it's a person, it's not a number, it has a name and a face and so I get into airplane after airplane, rental car after rental car and spend night after night in a hotel bed away from my wife and my kids because I am eager to remember the poor and it's not drudgery and it's not duty, it is joy. Are you eager this morning? We remember the manna that God has given and we see our lives as just God's grant, God's generosity. But then, holding all of these great gifts in our hands, we now remember the poor. God, use us. Give us an eagerness for the poor. Lastly, remember the manna, we remember the poor, and now we remember church so now go with me we're going to connect all these dots together in second corinthians chapter eight go with me there as we wrap up second corinthians chapter eight the apostle paul when he left when he left the church in jerusalem he did go out and preach the gospel and true to his word he remembered the poor And as he planted these churches and they became mature, he told them about the poverty among their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And he invited these churches that he planted to give a bit of their manna, to pass a bit of their leftovers. He collected an offering that was then carried to the Christians in Jerusalem, so that through Jerusalem church, the needs of the people could be met. It's a simple model. I'm gonna repeat it a little more briefly here. They collected an offering from the Christians out there who had more than their daily bread, and that offering was then carried to the church in Jerusalem to provide daily bread. That's the model. So in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 13, we read about this offering. Paul says this about it. Our desire in collecting this offering is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. Can I just confess to you this morning that for much of my life, giving felt like being hard pressed. You ever feel that way? You know it's coming and you just sort of, your body tightens up, that was me. And you're like I I don't want to give. This feels like a burden. This feels hard. This word, hard pressed, uh, I think uh, Paul has his tongue deeply planted in his cheek. He's being a little sarcastic. He's being a little hyperbolistic because this word is philipsis. Usually in the New Testament, it's translated tribulation. <laughs> it actually is the picture of a person being crushed by the weight of a heavy object, like a picture of a man with a life squeezed out of him by a boulder. And he says, I don't want you to think about this offering that we're collecting about this generosity as if you're being crushed by an enormous weight. That's not, the way, that's not the way giving is supposed to be. In fact, a bit later in 2 Corinthians 9, he'll say that God loves a cheerful giver. And so can I just say to you this morning that if giving feels like an enormous burden, your heart isn't in the place to give, so please don't. But if you're at the place where you look at all the manna in your life and the goodness of God, and you know that you can trust that God, and you can give to others so that they can taste and see, oh, it creates a joy. It's a joy, not a tribulation. Second Corinthians 8, 14. Continue on with me. At the present time, your surplus, literally your leftovers, the stuff you don't need today, will supply what they need in Jerusalem so that in turn their surplus will supply what you need. Who has been on top and been on the bottom in life? I have. I've been the young married guy working as a janitor who had no idea how the needs were gonna be met and then someone shows up at my door with a gift card. Anybody been there? And I've been the guy with more than enough who sees someone in need and like my mother comes alongside and does what I can to help. We don't know from one day to the next which end of that spectrum we're gonna be on, do we? Because we're not the sovereign God. And at the moment, if I find myself in a season of surplus, I have the opportunity to give to others, knowing that God will send someone with surplus to minister to me when I'm in the place of need. Second Corinthians 8, 14, the second half of that verse, let's continue on. The goal then of this offering is equality. It's a scary word, let's just pause and take that in. (laughs) That word equality in in Greek is not talking about people having the same amount. It's not quantitative. It's not that you and I have the same size house, the the same clothing in our closets. We drive the same kinds of cars. We have the same income. It's not quantitative, it's qualitative, equal quality. And he gets very specific what he means by equality. If God is wanting equality, if this offering is to accomplish equality, what does it mean? And he references Exodus 16. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. But everyone had as much as they needed. So often it's easy for me to take these like old testament stories and and uh, and laws and to say well that was another place and another time and i don't live in the desert and i didn't just get out of slavery so that's not for me but paul takes this law about breakfast in the desert (laughs) and he brings it all the way to the other side of the cross and he lays it before you and me this morning and says keep taking only your daily and the God who is good and trustworthy will keep providing it and if you would open your hands on everything extra others will get to taste and see God's goodness and trust him take only your daily bread this is the equality that God wants what does it look like when God's people take only their daily bread so that everyone can taste and see the goodness of god i want to tell you a story i was in the mathari slum second largest slum in all of africa it's in nairobi kenya it was raining that day my friend and i we sloshed our way through the muddy paths of that slum where two million people live in only two square miles of rusting corrugated metal Eventually we made our way to Elliot's house. Elliot, a dapper Kenyan young man. Now he he never had a visitor to his house. This was a big deal. So he put on his very best to meet me, his school uniform, that seafoam green tie and gray sweater. And he met me in front of a house that was so narrow that it made his wide smile not make any sense to me. I didn't understand how those two things went together. And he must have seen the confusion in my face because he He reached out, put his hand on my shoulder, and he explained it to me. One of the best sermons I've ever heard. Yes, my house is very small, he said, but my God is very big. And he brought me in out of the rain, gave me a dry spot to sit, and began to tell me his life story. It's an incredible story about our good and trustworthy God. He said when he was five years old, his mother passed away, leaving his father to care for him all by himself. His dad worked as hard as he could, but, but doing his very best, he couldn't even earn $2 a day. And that's not enough money to put food on the table. So his dad did what any mom or dad here today would do. He starved himself, skipped meal after meal, day after day, just to give his boy something to eat, a little rice, a few beans. But it wasn't enough. Elliot's immune system was just shot from malnutrition. He was always sick with something. No money to see a doctor, no government program to come along and help either. All he could do was hope and wait. To make things even worse, Elliot couldn't go to school. I I can't convince my four kids in Nashville that school is a gift from God, amen, but it is. It's a gift that most of the world does not get for free. In Kenya, as in much of the world, public school has to be paid for like private school in the West. And how can a father who can't even afford to put bread on a plate possibly afford to put books in a bag, or to buy uniforms, or to pay fees, to provide a lunch, It was a hopeless situation until our good and trustworthy God sent a pastor to come knock on the door. Standing at the door that day was a pastor from a church right there inside the slum. Elliot was seven. He remembers the day well. He says this was a big man with a big voice who made the biggest promises it seemed nobody could keep. <laughs> he promised Elliot he would not go to bed hungry anymore, but every day he'd have something good to eat. He promised that if he got sick, there'd be doctors, dentists, and nurses, and counselors to put him back together again. He promised him that if he that he could go to school, he could learn to read and write and add and subtract and all the books and the backpack and the fees and the meals, everything thing would be taken care of. But best of all, the best promise of all, he saved for last. And this is a promise that some of us today limped in here desperate to hear. So listen, because <laughs> this is a promise for everyone in the world, not just for Elliot. He got down real low so he could look Elliot right in the eyes. And he said, son, God sees you. God loves you. God has such a good plan for your life. And Elliot said, that's the day that everything began to change for him. That's the day that Elliot became one of Compassion International's children. Compassion International invented child sponsorship in 1952. (laughs) And all these years later, they're still the highest rated child sponsorship organization of their kind. Now, I know they're legitimate because I married an auditor, a professional skeptic. She's done all the deep dive investigation that I'm not smart enough to do. (laughs) And I know that they're highly ranked for financial integrity. And compassion works in a unique way, in a way that we see is highly biblical. We've seen it today in the scriptures. The compassion works only and always through the local church. And through the local church, they love on little boys and girls born into families that earn less than $2 a day. And every one of those children come to the church and they receive five things that we all want for our kids today. Education and healthcare, proper nutrition and clean water to drink. But listen, most importantly, the best gift, the greatest gift that we can give to anyone, everyone at Compassion's Children receives a Bible written in their very own language and the opportunity to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Because compassion works through the body of Christ, demonstrates the love and power of Christ, and unashamedly preaches the good news of Christ, on average, on average, 500 children come to faith in Jesus Christ every single day. 500 little ones who taste the goodness of God and trust him with their whole heart and life. But Every child needs a sponsor, a sponsor is someone who gives $38 a month to underwrite, to pay for the care that that church is giving to them. You know, the best sponsors, though, don't just give their money. That's pretty incredible. But the best sponsors give themselves. So I asked Elliot about his sponsor. And he, he stood up so proud. He announced to me, my sponsor's name is Nick Erskine, Northern California. I did not have the heart to tell him Northern California is not part of the dude's name. I just played along. <laughs> well, hey, does Nick Erskine ever write you letters? You know, we all should. Every sponsor should, but, but we forget or we get busy. Oh, we just don't realize how important it is. And he got so excited, he pulled from this hiding place in his home, this inch thick stack of letters, an inch thick stack of letters from Nick Erskine, Northern California that started showing up at his house when he was just seven and they were still arriving when he was 18. I love you so much, Nick wrote. I'm praying for you today and every day. I'm so proud of the man that you're becoming. I know it's hard, but don't quit. I believe God has a good plan for your life. And He keeps going. I wanted so badly that day for Nick Erskine, Northern California, to see what I was seeing, you know. I wanted him to see that the $38 he gives every month, it really goes where Compassion said it would go. It did everything they promised it would do. I wanted him to see that those letters he's written all these years made it across the oceans and the miles, not just into a young man's hands, but deep into that young man's heart. I wanted him to see it, but I couldn't afford the plane ticket (laughs) to bring Nick all the way to Elliot. So I brought Elliot to Nick. Watch this you may talk directly to like him. No, I'm talking to you and Nick. You may, you may talk directly to Nick. Okay. dear Nick. How are you? I hope you are fine. Um, it's fine. It's a blessing to have you and I can imagine how good you are to me. I love you very much and you are, you, are, you mean a whole thing and you are like my dad, you are like my mom. Give me hope and strength to be well. Thank you for all the things you've been doing for me and for the ones you continue doing. I pray to God to bless you, to give you hope,
1: to encourage
0: you to also support others who are in you As we left Elliot's home that day, I noticed written on the cardboard walls of that house some writing. And I got closer, I looked more closely, and I I realized it was a prayer written in his own hand. And I watched as we left, he placed his hand on those words, bowed his head briefly before exiting into the darkness of the slum. God loves me, enough to feed me, bless me, and give me hope for the future. Amen. Because one man in California gave, one boy in Kenya got to taste and see the goodness of God and trust him with his whole heart. I have three things I call you to this morning. The first... Remember the manna. My prayer, my greatest hope for our time together this morning is that you would leave with new eyes and as you leave this place that you would see the car that you get into as a gift from God. That the food that you sit down to for lunch is a gift from God. That the home you walk into is a gift from God that the bed that you go to bed in tonight is a gift from God, that when you turn on the faucet to wake, wash your face before going to bed, that that is a gift from God that you look at your neighborhood and the safety of it and the community of it and the connections within it as gifts from God. I hope that you go to work tomorrow and you enter that cubicle or that classroom or that construction site and you just marvel that God has once again woken you up and provided manna upon manna upon manna. Oh, I hope that you spend this week celebrating the generosity and the goodness of God and your eyes are opened to it everywhere you look. Remember the manna. You are not orphaned. You are loved and provided for right now by a good and generous Father. Number two, I hope that you remember the poor that you take your daily bread and you hold everything else loosely and you offer it to God. Maybe for you it's not finances, maybe it's time, maybe it's talent and you just come before God every day and say, God, how can I share with others so that they can taste and see the goodness and trust? Third and finally, I would ask you to remember your role as the church. Can I just tell you what a gift. Being with Pete this morning has been to me. Being with Justin has been to me. Just to hear about your incredible generosity, the ways that this church, the ways that this church is loving people well. You are a blessing to your city. Keep going. But we to remember that the church is bigger than this building, that there are churches throughout the city who need your help, and there are churches around the world who need your help. And so I'd ask you to pass a bit of your leftovers there as well so they can care for their people. And so, one way that you could do that this morning is that you could sponsor a trial with Compassion International. I hope that you give more than $38 a month. I hope you give yourself your prayers and your words. There are tables throughout this building you can't miss one they've made it very hard to uh very hard to dodge this opportunity but on your way out if you could find one of those tables and you would find a child sponsorship packet there and fill that out and you could become a child sponsor uh, today in my family we sponsor a child for every one of my kids um, I'm sure your kids are sweet little angelic beings, but mine are selfish sinners like me, they need help. And I found that sponsoring a child for each one of my kids and challenging them to write letters and to pray has changed my kids into more generous and compassionate people. So it's just a suggestion for you. Lastly, I wanna read this one last verse from Paul. 2 Corinthians 9, he says this about those who are participating in the offering. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. I know many of you already sponsor children through compassion, and those of you who don't do that, I'm sure are generous in many other ways. Can I just tell you that because of your generosity, multitudes around this world are giving thanks to God this morning. You are a blessing, and that results in the worship of God. For those of you who are sponsoring Children with Compassion, I just want to encourage you and show you what success looks like. I have an updated picture of Elliot and his son, Jaden. I got to return to Elliot's very, very uh, many times, and this one time we went to the zoo together, and this little boy, three and a half years old, this is Jaden. And the first thing Elliot told me about his son, Jaden, was Sean, I want you to know that Jaden doesn't need compassion's help. Those of you who are sharing your manna through Compassion International, you are ending the cycle of poverty. I just want to thank you. And I want to now end thanking God for you. Will you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for all the ways you have loved us. The day isn't even halfway done and there's so much manna in our lives. We just thank you for it. And God, thank you for giving us an eagerness to remember the poor. Bring the poor across our paths. Transform them from problems into people, from numbers, give them names. And God, God, move us, show us the ways you'd have us to participate in the work of your church around the world so that others could taste and see your goodness. I thank you for this sweet church, for the light that they are in the city I thank you for those specifically who sponsor children through compassion. I pray that you continue to be faithful to them to provide the resources they need to continue to share. Would you give them the right words to put in their letters that would arrive at just the right time in that child's life? And I thank you, God, for their blessing. And I thank you, God. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to be a blessing to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray,
1: amen. Amen. Sean, thank you so much. How blessed were you by that this morning? now as he said there are at every door uh, and also if you're coming from picking up your kids you'll get to walk by one also at that entrance Uh, there's opportunities for you to sign up compassion has done something unique for us for us as a church um, because we have gone on trips to go Uh, and visit our Compassion uh, children, and in particular at centers in Guatemala. They've given us children from that area right around uh, where we've already been bringing you stories from those pastors and those centers. Uh, But we have a limited number of those. Uh, Don't fight, okay, on their way out. That would ruin the morning. But I would strongly encourage you. we, We don't take an offering. We ask you before the Lord Uh, to just give what is on your heart. But I am asking you this morning to clean them out, okay? Go and find one of those kids, sponsor them, invest, pray. It is valuable. And we're going to go to those locations that you see on the cards. We're going there as a church. That's our commitment. As soon uh, as we are allowed to go and visit those locations, you'll have an opportunity to sign up and go see what Compassion does firsthand. Uh, Some of you have not bought a gift for your mother yet, all right? This would be a great one. Yeah, you don't have to admit it right now, but uh, this would be a great opportunity. I pray that you are blessed, even if just in your heart you were reminded that God is about things that are a lot bigger than just you or I, and a lot bigger than just this place. Aren't you thankful for that perspective? He is about those things. Let's join him in that as you go. So look for those cards and bless uh, some other mother by how you take care of their children, you're dismissed.